Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. everybody welcome to a brand new episode of what's going down here on patreon ad free or wherever you get your podcasts from Dells. my name is kenny mactosh joined as always by mr finley martin finn how are you this uh, it's a bit of a dreek tuesday yeah i'm well i'm all right kenny i mean i mean last time we we recorded we were talking about the you know the passing terry funk um you know and this week it's 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 Bray Wyatt, which was obviously massively unexpected. He was only 36. Um, and it's just dominated the news, hasn't it, for a number of days, and rightly so. Yeah, you know, 36 years old. Obviously, the news kind of broke late Thursday night. So for today, you know, usually we talk about SmackDown, and SmackDown kind of ended up being kind of a tribute show to Bray Wyatt and to Terry Funk. So I thought we could spend the first portion of today talking about Bray Wyatt and, and, and all that, and, and then we'll talk about all in. But, um, I mean, I was kind of, flo- I mean, I was floored by the news, just absolutely floored. And, you know, 36, he's so young. We knew there was, we knew there was some sort of health issue that had plagued him, and that was why he was off and stuff. It's come to pass since then that uh, when he had died, he was not wearing a heart defibrillator that the doctors had told him he needed to wear. Uh, in order to stop any other, so he'd got COVID. Yeah, and I think he and he had quite bad complications from COVID, which brought up a pre-existing heart condition that he had, and that obviously led to the time off. But I believe he was cleared two weeks before 
you know, he sadly passed away. And then, you know, he, he, he wasn't when the defibrillator was on his car. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, it's a horrible situation. What are your kind of thoughts on the situation? I mean, he seems to have left a pretty great legacy based on how everyone feels about him and about, uh, you know, his time in wrestling, even though, you know, we, we banged our heads against the wall a few times about some of the creative stuff, but that's not what this is about. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's, you know, when someone dies this young, it it's, doesn't seem real until you see the, you know, the you start reading the tributes online and then you see the tribute show Smackdown, everybody was there on the stage and they did the 10 bell salute and lots of people were crying. And it's for, for us, I think sometimes it's quite, it's not until that moment that it feels real because it just feels, because we haven't seen, obviously we haven't seen Bray since February. So he's been off TV for so long. And when someone's not a regular presence for this news to break it's you know it's it's not until you actually see the real grief from people who knew him well that it hits you and that was the moment where it really you know really hit me you know yeah the guy really you know he's not coming back this is it this is final you know this is you know just absolutely terrible and seeing all the tributes about his four young kids um you know i mean what must they be thinking kenny you know, I mean, four young kids and um, to lose their father. That's the real tragedy here, isn't it? Not that wrestling has lost, you know, this larger than life character. Yeah. But the family and particularly the kids have lost their father. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the tribute show on Friday and the people on the stage and the 10 bell salute, it, it was like, yeah, that was that that to me is what was most memorable from the whole you know aftermath of this. Um, but yeah, as a, as a character, as a you know, as a performer, I mean, when he returned in October, Kenny, we were so full of hope, weren't we? We were so full of hope for this, you know, new beginning for this guy who had left WWE very unexpectedly the previous year, wasn't it? The previous August, he'd gone. He'd been, or was it last August that he was fired? It was. It was a lot. It was end of July, twenty twenty one. He was okay. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so over a year. It was over a year that he was that he was no longer part of the company, and that was really shocking that he that he lost his job. That's right because his last match was WrestleMania, wasn't it, with Randy Orton? Yes. Yeah. The WrestleMania match with Randy Orton, and then and then and but then I mean I guess part of why we still don't know one hundred percent why he was released at the end of July twenty twenty one. No, um, it was never really explained, was it? No, and it could be that part of the reason he was released was his heart condition. If he had a heart condition that, you know, maybe something had happened there, you know, we're not going to know. Um, but yeah, you know, because he had, you know, he had that, he'd, I think he'd, he'd uh, cooperated the name Wyndham and we thought he was going to maybe turn up somewhere else, uh, but he never did. And then he made that huge return at Extreme Rules last year. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, one of the things in wrestling that I'm really sad about is I'm really sad that he didn't do a, a proper sit-down interview with anybody. Whether it was, you know, me for a live show or whether it was, you know, one of the big American <clears throat> outlets to get it, because he's never really had a chance to sort of explain 
his thought process behind a lot of the stuff that we've seen in the past and yeah. over the years. And I think that would have been really good to hear. And we're never going to hear that now. You know, we're never going to hear. No. And I think that's really sad that we're not going to get that because I, I think that it, it's just something that would have been great for, for fact. It kind of reminds me a little bit. It's different because this is more tragic, of course. But it reminds me of the fact that, you know, Randy Savage never really sat down with anybody and talked about, I mean, he did He did at points, but, you know, you never really got the big retrospective with him talking about all his career and stuff. And I just feel like if Wyatt had been able to do that, I think it would have been great for him, for his legacy. But, I mean, I think I said this on Twitter, and I'm not just saying this because he's passed away, because I know that sometimes the, the, the inclination can be when someone passes away to be overly positive about everything in wrestling that they've done. But I do think that there's an argument, I think, to put him in the Hall of Fame next year, because you think about how he was kind of buried at points and he still managed to be as big a star as he was and sell the merch that he did and uh, keep people, you know, like us, we would, we would be, you know, banging our head against the wall about the drivel that he was doing on screen. Yeah. And then, and then he'd be back and go, oh, we're in again. Oh, maybe he's turned a corner. Maybe he's turned a corner. And he'd do something new and he'd re- reinvent himself again. And you'd be kind of ready to sort of take the plunge again and see if this, this was going to be any different. So I think based on, you know, the last 10 years and people in WWE who've fl- floundered, I think there is an argument to put them in there. Um, and I think that would be really nice for his family to see that happen next year. Um, but, you know, whether they'll do that or not, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I imagine it will happen. I don't, yeah, it probably will happen next year. Um, but I mean, yeah, the, the return in October, um, we had so much hope for that new character. I mean, what a response that he received when he came out with that almost like horror film, amazing, big budget effect entrance. You know, I'm here. And it was just like, wow, he's back after whatever it was, 14 months on the on the outside. And all these rumors, is he going to go to AEW? And I think we pretty much said, well, he's not going to because he can't just be a wrestler. He's got to be a character as well. And that's not something AEW really does. And he would have had to have done something very different as well because Bray Wyatt was the property of WWE and like all those characters and all those things would have been property of WWE. And it's very possible as well that he didn't want to burn the bridge and go and work for the other company, probably knowing that he would receive another chance because if you keep your head down, you don't bury the company, you don't embarrass yourself, you don't embarrass the company and you've got the audience that he has, then eventually they will give you an, give you another chance. So, I mean, I'm with you, Kenny. I mean, it would have been really good if he'd done that interview because he had this experimental approach to pro wrestling. And he believed in it. He absolutely believed in it. He believed in it after the Royal Rumble match with LA Knight. You know, he thought that that was a success. It wasn't. I mean, it absolutely wasn't. And my view on all that is never going to change you know, even though he's no longer with us, my view of that, people know my view of that. And that's, you know, my views are as, you know, as 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 strong as they were when that match took place. But had he come out and explained what he was trying to achieve, um, I think we'd all be, a, I think probably would have understood it more because you've got to figure that he put so much to thought into everything that he did. It felt to me like he maybe, you know, overthought everything he did yeah. and maybe it became too overly complicated and that was why us the lay people mm-hmm. never quite understood what he was trying to achieve and I think that was a mistake they did make because he came back and when he returned and he did that um promo in Saudi didn't he? he did several promos where it felt like 
he was really being honest with the public and saying that, you know, I had went through a terrible time and, you know, this support that you've given me has just, you know, lifted me up. You've picked me up and you give me another chance and I'm so grateful. And I think there was a lot of truth and reality in what he was saying to the public, yeah. but it was also wrapped up in this, you know, larger than life sort of, you know, um, supernatural character. So yeah. it was quite difficult to know where the truth stopped and the fiction began. Um, and maybe he didn't want to do that sort of post-Undertaker, you know, Undertaker retirement ceremony speech where he came out and actually, you know, introduced his real self to us. Because yeah. he might have thought that it could have been detrimental to the character and it might have been Kenny. So I'm sure that was the motivation for not doing that. By yeah, Undertaker... I'm absolutely with you. Now we we wish that he had done that because we are where we're at now, sadly, and he's obviously no longer with us. Yeah, and I think you know Undertaker would. I mean, Undertaker would not have done that kind of interview in 1995. No, you know, yeah, he did do some interviews in 2002 or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a. I I thought on SmackDown, I liked the idea that LA Knight came out and sort of said some nice things about him. Um, I, I thought that was very, very classy um, and very nice. And yeah, I mean, everybody, it, it was also a tough show that they had to do because you know, you're trying to honour Terry Funk, who, as we talked about last week, was a legend. And you're trying to, because we, we recorded our Power Slam podcast on Thursday morning. We did the Terry yeah. Funk tribute. We're like, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a job done. Out we go. And then that night, you know, the Bray Wyatt thing happened. So it, they had, had a tough job trying to, pay tribute to both of them, I think. But I think I think they yeah. did a good job. I know some people have said that, you know, well, when Eddie died, everything, you know, there was everything was off. But I just, it's a different time now, you know, and, and whatever you do, you're going to get complaints or people who think you should have done it differently. I mean, would it's it's tough. <clears throat> I mean he's 36. Oh. He died of a really tragic natural cause, which is I mean yeah it's 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 just horrible so but I think they did a good, yeah. did a good job. I, I think also the difference now as well is um, people can put their own tributes out on Twitter, you know, and they showed many of them on screen, didn't they, throughout SmackDown? Whereas in two thousand five, when Eddie Guerrero died, um, Twitter didn't exist, so people weren't able to put out their own tributes on Twitter. I mean, if they had their own website, they could or. Did MySpace exist then? I think it did. Well, but you know what I mean? Now people can put those tributes out there on Twitter and everybody who's interested can read them immediately. Whereas back then it was different, wasn't it? They don't have that sort of connection with the audience um, in 2005 that they do now, you know, with the public, you know? So it's definitely different times. But obviously, you know, we, uh, yeah, just send all the positive thoughts out to his, his family and, uh, yeah, it's just horrible. I mean, the thing is, everybody who's spoken about him has said how great a guy he was, and everybody has, uh, you know, praised him. And you know, whether whether it was you know the WWE shows, SmackDown and Raw, or All In, uh, you know, lots of people had armbands for him. Um, yeah. So that was really classy. So you know, you can the what you the mark that you leave in in the industry is what will be remembered. I think that he. I think he will end up being remembered for more good than bad um, because of how, obviously, young he passed away and stuff. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's a real shame. But I, I think a lot of it with Kenny is is that 
we knew he was just, he had such a fertile mind. We knew that he had so much to give to the business. And in many ways, he was almost like, in terms of, you know, a Brian Pillman, where you just thought, God, if Brian Pillman had lived, what else would he have done? You know, some of what Brian Pillman did wasn't very good either. But you just thought this guy is just like, you know, powerhouse in terms of his creativity and his love for wrestling and his, you know, his uh, desire to perform, you know, and to take wrestling to places that it had never been before. And sometimes, you know, that means doing things that people don't really understand. And I think with Wyatt, you know, because his career was interrupted, you know, to, you know, 2021, 2022, and then earlier this year was another, you know, health problem again. And, um, you know, we just sort of feel like this is a guy that, you know, would have done so much more. We're just talking here kind of selfishly in terms of what we wanted from him as a performer. Yeah. Because, you know, that's how we knew Kenny, wasn't it? But you just sort of feel like this is a guy that just hadn't really got started. You know what I mean? And I I almost feel like if if he had come around, if the Wyatt family had sort of come around and got to the main roster when Triple H was in charge, I I think things would have been very different. But he also did have to contend with Vince for a lot of years, where yeah. Vince obviously liked him. I mean, Vince Vince put him in a lot of big time situations, so it's not that Vince thought he was he was he was he was no good. But ultimately, I think because Vince would change his mind on so many things, I think that hurt him a lot. Um, and you know, we've been over the you know, he 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 got to be in the ring with all these big names, but never got to have the win over them. So, yeah. um, so he had, but I mean, he did. You know, he he changed his gimmick numerous times to try and figure out a new way. I mean, I remember being in, uh, I think it was Toronto for SummerSlam 2019 when he did the Fiend entrance for the first time. You were just like, wow. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it before in wrestling. Um, and it was just, it was amazing, that moment of him doing that. I mean, obviously the in-ring stuff later was, was not, wasn't very good, but you no. know, that moment was, was, was great. So, um, yeah, we, we, you know, there's not really much else to say, but, uh, you know, obviously, There'll be more in the magazine about him and stuff, and uh, I'm sure WWE will be, you know, making a documentary about him and stuff to try and pay tribute to him. So, yeah, that's about all we can do. Um, so we're talking about all in next now. We we're not going to talk about the suspensions of Jack Perry and CM Punk and the backstage fight today because we only have so much time on these podcasts. So we will talk about those on that on Thursday. Well, can, can, can I just say, though, Kenny, yes. you know, I was watching the, the Zero Hour and in the Hook Jack Perry match, they're fighting on the limousine, right? <laughs> and then Jack Perry just breaks off from the match. He's having this fight to the, you know, this brutal fight with Hook for this FTW championship. <laughs> he just says, you know what, this is right here. And then he patted the windscreen of the limousine. And then Perry says, real glass, go cry me a river. I was just flawed. I was just like, well, it's fairly obvious who he's saying, who he's, that's a message directly to as he leaned into the camera. Yeah. And also, you know, it's like you're thinking that when that story came out about the CM Punk telling Jack Perry, can you use real glass in collision? You're thinking, is this a phony story that someone has fabricated to knock CM Punk? You know, has this come from the Perry, the elite camp, all designed to, you know, rubbish Punk's reputation further? And you're like, 
nah, it's a real story, all right. <laughs> and I was just, I just couldn't believe it. I just could not believe that this like undercard guy would do that on, you know, AEW's biggest show ever. And I was, we'll talk about this more on Thursday, Kenny, but I was just like, wow, if that just doesn't sum up the state of play backstage in this company, I can't think what does. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, with I'm, I'm going to say very little here because I don't want, because we'll end up talking about it loads, but, you know, CM Punk, because I, I just want to say this today, right? And we'll extend it on Thursday. The story came out that CM Punk was not was not picked up by anybody at Heathrow Airport on Saturday or whatever day it was. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's photos of him there. There's a photo of him there on the underground with all his gear, isn't there? Yeah, he's, he's there on the tube and stuff. And people are going, well, you know, this story has just been released to make CM Punk look better. And I will just say this from my, and I'll, I'll say this from my wealth of experience in dealing with wrestlers and travel. You I've know dealt- about this, Kenny. You are better qualified to talk about this than almost anyone out there in podcast land. Yeah, I would say so, and or, or on Twitter. And all I can tell you is from being at WCPW and dealing with loads of indie wrestlers who you do travel with and from dealing with big names on tours, there is no way that CM Punk, on the level of star he is, was going to get the tube to his hotel. There is no chance. There is just, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it whatsoever. So, you know, whatever, maybe there was a miscommunication. I'm not saying that, you know, they deliberately were like, let's go leave him at the airport. But something happened and that set things off on a bad foot and then it got worse and worse. But we'll, you know, we'll go we'll go over it on Thursday. Um, did, so on, we'll go through kind of, th- we'll go through things fairly quickly so we can kind of get through everything. But um, we did end up seeing at the end of the first hour of the Zero Hour show, we saw um, Jeff Jarrett come out and cut a fantastic old school heel promo on the Wembley crowd. I don't know if you saw this one, Finn, but um, he was calling, uh, he called them fannies, dafties, and wankers. <laughs> and um, he said, you know, America's the best. It's American promoters. Britain's never done anything any good. And, you know, he's going, no UK star. But, and he's just, no UK star's ever done anything. And then, of course, uh, Paul White's music hits. And he comes out with Anthony Agogo. And then he motions to the back and Grado comes out. No like a prayer, but with with Paul White. And we get the moment of Grado hitting Jeff Jarrett with the guitar. Uh, Grado actually did an interview last night, Finn, with Cultaholic. And he was asked about it, asked about the like a prayer stuff. And he said the invitation to do All In was pretty last minute. He got the call on Thursday. Wow. And he, and he asked Tony Khan back. And he did say, he said, I think part of the reason that I got it is because so many people on social media were clamoring for me to be there. Well, isn't that odd? Because they obviously did the angle for talk sport. Yeah. And like, well, was that not part of a plan all along? Well, because he, he, um, I mean, he, what he said was when that angle happened, that he, you know, he, he did the angle. He then, everybody was congratulating him saying, you know, oh, you know, as if there's a match happening. And because that hadn't been agreed, he was staying quiet because he didn't want to like ruffle any feathers or whatever. Yeah, and then obviously they've eventually decided to bring him in, and so apparently backstage he goes to Tony Khan and says, "You know, can we do like a prayer or whatever?" I know you've used songs from other people, and <laughs> Tony Khan said, "I'm not going to fuck with Madonna," was <laughs> this exact term that he had. Um, and Grado was very nice, but he's like, "Look, I'm in one night. I get it. They're not going to pay all this money just for me when I'm not part of the roster or whatever." Yeah, so he understood. Exactly. And why? Why would they? You know. 
Yeah, exactly. But you know, he he still got a big pop just for his graphic showing up on the screen, and um, he got the big moment. Paul White was there, showing us that he has zero matches left in him. Zero. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he was he did a punch, he did a choke slam, and they were rough, mm-hmm. very rough. But anyway, then we got the first match of the Zero Hour, which was uh, Adam Cole and MJF taking on Aussie Open for the ROH Tag Team Titles, and uh, Aussie Open lost their titles to MJF and Adam Cole, so they go into the show as ROH Tag Team Champions. I turned to the people that I was with, Finn, and said, well, the ROH Tag Team belts are finally with somebody who means something, so there's a step up for those belts. Yeah, Uh, as we predicted, I mean, it was the right decision, you know, for the Ring of Honor Tag Team belts, um and um and the right decision for the main event as well and for the for the story you know this week on dynamite collision and for next week all out so i mean it, yeah absolutely made sense didn't it to change the tag team championship here uh, and then we also had on the zero hour show we had hook defeating jack perry to win the ftw title um, I mean, I hadn't seen because obviously we were there live, and you know you can you can see the ring and you can see various bits, but I did not see the the bit to camera. No, 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 what you would have done, no, you know, so, real glass, go cry me a river, and you know the announcers, Kenny, they ignored it. There was no acknowledgement of what Perry said directly into camera. Well, because I feel like if you're the commentators, because apparently Perry had told several people he was going to do this, which again tells you the problems that are there. But, yeah. like, if you're the announcer, you probably don't want to comment on it because you're like, this is not, you know, because they, they, they're aware of the backstage situation. They're aware that Punk and Perry don't go on. I'm sure they're aware, you know, people talk at wrestling shows. Um, and they probably just didn't want to have him, you know, they didn't want to get involved. And it's like, but you shouldn't be putting announcers in that position either. Well, exactly. Exactly. You know? I mean, never mind suspended. Guys should be fired. Tell you what, if I was running AEW, that guy would be fired. He'd be gone. No questions asked. He would be fired on the spot. There's no way. I mean, I was, you know, I don't really, I mean, I've obviously not punk many times about his behavior, including in the in the latest edition of uh, What Else Is Going Down, Kenny? <laughs> so, uh, you wonder, yes, you, that, that's something you probably won't read anywhere else. So no, I've called uh, CM Punk out there in the, what, in the latest column. Um, but, I mean, that was outrageous behaviour by Perry. Outrageous. A sackable offence. No questions asked. And um, for just putting the company in that position. You're right, the announcer's in that position as well. So, yeah, so they had this fight. So they're fighting on the limousine on Zero Hour. And you're like, why are you doing this? You know, why are you having, you know, at one point, um, there was a, you know, um, Hook Fisherman busted Perry on the car windscreen, which was real glass, as Perry had pointed out. And it was just an unnecessary risk to me. And there's going to be so much on this show. Why are you doing hardcore spots on the zero hour pre-show? That's my question. Yeah, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. I mean, did you think the result was the correct result? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Perry's the heel and he need I mean, being particularly obnoxious, he was the one who turned on Hook. I mean, I think he's doing all right as a heel, but I mean, as I say, I mean, to me, he shouldn't even be in the company anymore after that, uh, you know, outburst on the show, which was deliberately designed to antagonise Punk and did so, as we'll 
discuss further on Thursday. Um, you know, so yeah, Perry was caught with the uh, red rum choke, and that was it. So the match, you know, the finish kind of came from out of nowhere. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on with Hook. He seemed to have something quite special a while ago, and that's gone. That aura I mean, has vanished. So uh, I'm maybe not... they are. Maybe they're planning getting that back with him because I thought that he was. Um, I, I think I think there's still something there, and I think that. Um, I think they could definitely move him into. I mean, he was doing. He was doing stuff on the, the collision eight man tag that was the night before, where like he was suplexing uh, Brian Cage in the match, and but like because Brian Cage is like a nobody, it doesn't. You know, you're not really protecting Brian Cage, but when you look at the size of Brian Cage, Hook should not be able to like fling him about easily. Yeah. But but you're in this position where it's. Hook's in such a bigger level than Cage that you shouldn't really have Hook having you shouldn't have Hook having to sort of sell too much to Cage. But I think even when he was doing those moves in collision, I'm saying there is still something there. And obviously now that Perry's suspended, um, pending investigation, at least Hook's uh, got. I mean, and, you know, Hook's an investigation. Well, we'll we'll see. We never get the results of these investigations, do we? Um, oh but um, I mean, the thing is with Hook is he needs to do more than what he's been doing. He's been at this sort of very low level with an occasional bigger match for what seems like, what are we, like two years in now into his career? It's I'm sure it's 2021 he debuted. Yep, it was. So he needs to start doing more in his matches. Um, you know, and he needs to start talking. You yeah, know, he did. Well, I mean, we did get, they did a promo on Collision and he is talking now a bit. So hopefully that translates more to him doing actual promos. Um, yeah. But let's so we open we 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 start the pay per view we start all in. I mean, give me your thoughts on the look of the show, the presentation, Wembley, how they kind of made it look. How did it come across on TV? Um, yeah, I mean, it was you know it was well lit. I mean, it looked looked good. Obviously, a huge crowd. Um, I mean, there wasn't that many special effects. Um, uh, really, were there? I was expecting more pyro. I think I was expecting more of a. You know, do like a WrestleMania type approach to it. So yeah. it was more just a show, wasn't it? Really? I mean, obviously Wembley Stadium looks amazing, so it's a new venue and everything. So, I mean, it looked really good. Um, but I mean, I was expecting more given the size of the show. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I will say this: that the one, the one thing they did that should be absolutely commended is the amount of pyro they used. You know, we've had so many shows. I mean, last year at Clash at the Castle, there was no budget, Finn. We got nothing. Whereas, you know, at least you should, to me, Pyro, I, I love Pyro at a show. And, you know, WWE do it for WrestleMania, they do it for Jeddah, they didn't do it for Cardiff, but it felt like every match there was, there was Pyro, there was loads of stuff going on. So I thought I thought it looked uh, big time, but they opened the show with CM Punk and Samojo for the Real World's title. The crowd were very, very anti CM Punk during this match, which he kind of laughed along at, at various points. Um, and he does. He goes on to retain uh, against Mojo in 14 minutes when he does the Pepsi plunge from the middle rope. Uh, what did you make of this as an opener? Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I mean, Punk imitated um, Terry Funk at one point. Then he did, uh, he imitated uh, Hulk Hogan. He did like the leg drop of doom. And, and Joe um, pointedly kicked out on one. You must have been offended by that, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't my 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 greatest. It wasn't my favorite moment. <laughs> I didn't like that. But I mean, I thought, I thought that there was a lot of stuff in the match that they did that I thought was clever because I think they knew what the rest of the show was going to be. So they, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they definitely, yeah. They made sure that they were like, we're going to do a completely different kind of match. And I thought that they, yeah, they really like. I think this was probably my favorite uh, CM Punk match since he has come back. I think it definitely is. Um, and I think it's Joe's best match in AEW. He felt like he a star, finally. But um, yeah, I think, they, I think they, they did really well knowing where they were on the show to you know, you, use a lot of bells and whistles, do a lot of different stuff. Um, and the, I mean, because in the portion of the crowd that I was in, they were very anti-CM Punk. But on TV, yeah, that, I guess... That, that came across on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, the, you know, um, at one point... Um, you know, Joe obviously kicked out the leg drop of doom. Um, the punk used the uh Terry Funk spinning toe hold. Um, and understandably, most of the fans didn't know what he was doing. And to me, the spinning toe hold was this like 70s hold because even when I first started watching Terry Funk, whenever he used the spinning toe hold, which was you know, the funk submission, like no one, like no one of note ever tapped out to it. So, use that here. I mean, it felt a bit like a greatest hits tour watching this match. <laughs> what it felt like to me. Um, and um, Punk used the Pepsi plunge from out of nowhere from the middle rope for the win. I mean, Jim Ross on commentary. I mean, he had a bit of a strange night on commentary, did Jim Ross. I mean, he actually was far more enthusiastic than normal. Um, I think it's possibly because he's... Has he re-signed a new contract yet? Do we he know? Has, he, has? he hasn't yet, I don't think. So maybe that's the maybe that's why he's enthusiastic. Yeah, so he was more enthusiastic. But then this enthusiasm for the product would be contrasted by this brutal honesty of the match. And, like, clearly he doesn't like the AEW product. This has been obvious for years. And uh, after Punk versus Samoa Joe, Ross on commentary said, it wasn't pretty sometimes. I thought you didn't need to say that. You're a commentator. You're supposed to be selling this to the world. (laughs) <laughs> so that cracked me up. Um, but yeah, Punk won. I mean, we thought he would. Um, I mean, if he if he doesn't lose his job over this Jack Perry business, and I don't think he will, because to me, Perry was at fault. Um, then we figure it's going to be Punk versus MGF in November. That's what we imagine is the plan. Right, yes. Kenny? Yes, as far as I'm aware, that's... It seems like that's what's the plan because you wouldn't have, you weren't going to have Punk turn up on Dynamite and make it the following weekend. And no, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where they're going. <clears throat> but 
I, I mean, I was I was very pleasantly surprised at this match because, and it, you know, the greatest hits there's a fair a fair kind of comment. I think I was just hoping that it was going to be different to everything else, and I felt like it was, and I felt like the crowd yeah. really, really were into it. <clears throat> and um, you know, it's that kind of Jericho thing, right? Where he says, if "You're not last, you want to be first. You want to be the first one." Um, let's fire through some of the matches that I don't think you have a lot to say about, <clears throat> so I'm not going to push you for a lot of comment. We did get um, Jay White, just Robinson, Takeshita defeating Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, and Hangman Page when Takeshita rolled up Kenny Omega, Finn. Kenny Omega at Wembley Stadium was rolled up to set up a one-on-one match next, or this weekend. Yeah. Um, did you have any thoughts on this one, quickly? Um, I mean, I just thought this match, this match kind of meandered at times, and it felt like the referee had lost control, and they were all just, like, scrapping for no, no reason. And it felt like towards the end, it really was, they were getting their acts together and it was really moving. And Omega was hitting all this high impact offense and the crowd was coming alive and getting into it because this was a long match. And it just like at one point, you know, Omega was selling for ages like, for Juice Robinson. Now, I actually think Juice Robinson is is really good in the ring. I, it's a strange, his, his character is very strange. I don't understand the character and I don't think we're supposed to. But Omega was, I felt, just sold far too much. Um, you know, and Hangman Adam Page just almost seemed anonymous at times. I mean, he made the hot tag and, God, it was, you know, it wasn't a very hot, hot tag. Um, and then the match meandered. But then towards the end, it felt like Omega was really, you know, moved it up into fifth gear. And, wow, the match is really coming alive. And he's smashing everyone with all this big offense. And you're thinking, wow, they finally hit high gear and this match is going to really sizzle. And then from out of nowhere, Takeshita, you know, used a flute roll-up for the pin. <laughs> I was like, right, that's it. It's a flute roll-up. The obviously most devastating, as we know, Kenny, finisher yeah. in all of pro wrestling, the fluke roll-up. <clears throat> so, I mean, you know what? If Takeshita gets the win over Omega this weekend in Chicago, it'll be a round of applause for Omega from me. You know, I mean... Past performance sort of indicates that Omega's going over since he's just gone under at Wembley. <laughs> but you never know. I never saw Omega doing the job here. So maybe they'll surprise us again. But yeah, I felt like it was a bit of a strange match. It's like they didn't really have a plan for it. And it just sort of was all over the place until the end when it felt like it came alive. And then we had this fluke pin. So yeah, a bit odd, really. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's one of those things where a, a lot of people, <clears throat> as we know, wanted the Kenny Omega big singles match at Wembley, and I understand that. I think you know it's something that they should have had, but you know they had this. It's, it's building something else. I guess everything can't be the end game at Wembley, but um, no. this. I mean, yeah. So I mean, I mean, will... Jr. Also had another really amazing moment on commentary. At one point, White and uh, Abushi are just standing there pummeling each other, right, and just you know, not selling anything. And JR said, I've never understood this. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking for all of us, Jim, um, <laughs> I will say this, though. Tony Khan did me a solid because I got to see CM Punk and Joe in the opener, which I was looking forward to. Then we got the the Golden Lovers out the way, and then the Young Bucks were next. So by match four, I was done with them all. What a, what a, what a decision. Um, 
So we got FTR in the box, and you know we talked last week about how we were sure that the Bucks were going to win the titles because of Cash Wheeler's issues. Uh, but in the end here, it was FTR who retained the titles um, in about 21 minutes. Uh, what did you make of the match and the finish? Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, it was better than the, the usual Young Bucks match. Um, I mean, it was, um, again, on commentary, it seemed like JR was trying to get himself fired. I mean, he was just so apathetic about the whole thing. Um I mean, there was some big kickouts, of course. Um, we had that sort of thing now, which has become something I've seen before from AEW, where they use the spike pile driver and they kick out of it. Now, to me, the spike pile driver is the ultimate finisher. Should never be kicked out of. And it was kicked out of twice in this match. So, uh, yeah. And then we had Matt kicking out of the shatter machine. Um then and there was a really strange spot in this match where the books hit the BTE trigger and then Nick Jackson pinned Cash Wheeler after nailing with the BTE trigger. And then on the pin, Nick pulled Wheeler's arm up. And it was so obvious that he did it. And I thought, I've got to watch that again. I watched it three times. And the announcers had to acknowledge this. And it was just, you're almost like when a heel is pinning someone and they pull someone's shoulders up to so that to humiliate them, Kenny? Yes. Well, Nick Jackson did that to Cash Wheeler and it was so obvious even the announcers had to acknowledge it. <laughs> but then Nick was kind of not acting as though he'd done that deliberately, but he did it. And I just thought that was really weird. Um, in the end, Wheeler pinned Nick after the shot machine. Um yeah, I enjoyed it more than most young more than most young book match young books matches. Um, you know, it was quite long. I think it was probably too long. And I think they probably did too much, but that's what you expect from a young books match. Um, I was pleased to see FTR retain. I didn't think they would. Uh, we predicted last week that this would be a young books victory. It wasn't. Um, and then afterwards FTR offered to shake hands with the books, and the books refused and walked off and they were booed. So maybe this saga will continue. Yeah, well, I, I like I like the I like the idea of keeping the box kind of heelish. They're better in that role. They're they're not very likable. So like keeping them in that is probably a good good move. Uh, yeah, surprising CFTR get the win, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it more than I enjoy most young bucks matches. Um, but then we had the stadium stampede match with Eddie Kingston, Penta, Orange Cassidy, and Best Friends against Moxley, Claudio, Wheeler, Santana, and Ortiz. This was a a difficult match to watch live because you didn't really see a lot of the stuff. You saw the stuff that was in the ring, but apart from that, you didn't really get to see too much. Uh, but this also was kind of setting something up because you know Orange Cassidy is going to be facing John Moxley all out, so Cassidy got the pin on Claudio at the end after Kingston had come back out to help. I mean, I guess if, if you if you like the kind of uh, hardcore match style, that is what they were giving you here. Yes, you can say that again. I mean, it was quite difficult to watch on TV. I mean, they went to a split screen, but only occasionally. Um, so there's people fighting backstage, and, and lots of this we just didn't see at all. So, I mean, Kingston... Um, was backstage um, and, um, you know, there's lots of stuff going on in the ring and then at ringside and in the aisle and they had this backstage and up fighting in the seats. Um, and it was also, 
a bit odd that they would have them, they would picture them fighting in empty seats as well. But I mean, maybe that was a better idea than fighting where all the fans were. Um, so, yeah, there was, um, you know, Moxley used the skewers. Penta bashed the skewers into Moxley's head. Um, we know he's done that. I think that's the first time he's done that in AEW. I think that's right, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes, I think so, yeah. We've seen him, there's, you know, been photos of him, you know, in Japan, I think he was, with all the skewers stuck in his head. So that's the spot he likes to do. We had the, you know, the fork, and Moxie stabbed uh, Cassidy loads of times with a fork, and Cassidy bled. Um, I mean, there was some pretty brutal stuff here, like Moxie hit, Moxley hit Brain Buster on a chair, Cassidy with a Brain Buster onto a chair. I up in the stands, Kingston nailed Utah with an umbrella. Um Sue turned up in the minivan, Kenny, and started <laughs> handing out baking trays, which were used as weapons. Um, they'd set some tables up near the entrance. Uh, and Penta did a actually recovered really well because the stepladder kind of broke. Uh, but he managed to get up there and you know did a sunset flip power bomb. It was Penta on Santana. And Sunset Flip powerbombed him off the ladder through tables. So that got a big pop. Claudio did the giant swing in the ring. Fans were chanting. Fortunately, they stopped chanting the numbers or counting rather, because there's all sorts of other stuff going on. I mean, at one point they were using Lego at ringside and there was like three different sets of spots going at once. So I don't think the announcers called the use of the Lego, which was, you know, just, you know, over the top, really. Um you know, so and in the end, uh, Cassidy uh, put uh, wrapped tape around his hand and used like put the sticky side on the outside, and then he put like broken glass on the sticky tape, and then he nailed Claudio with the punch and then scored the pin. Um, I mean, they did manage to get the audience into it at the end. I mean, this put I mean, fans saw so much here, didn't they? There was just so much going on here in terms of multiple different spots or you know battles going on at once and so much in terms of you know garbage spots and action and bumps and stunts i mean it was it was there was a lot going on here wasn't there kenny yeah there was lots going on and i mean some people some people enjoy that some people enjoy there being you know multi-man matches and lots going on i can handle like one of them but when you get to multiple ones like that it kind of loses me so um, yeah, I, I think the, the match was funner than I thought it was going to be. I, I, I had more dread for it than it than it ended up being um, in the end. So um, yeah, and, and I think the the crowd were the crowd obviously were very <clears throat> into Moxley, especially his spot with the st- uh, spike stuff sticking at his head, it was sticking out of his head. Yeah, from yeah. Pint. Yeah. So. Um, but then we had Hikaru Shida, Tony Storm, Suri and Britt Baker on a four-way for the women's title. And it's funny because there was no story going into this match, but the crowd were so into these women. And the entrances felt big time. And you just thought, imagine if there was a story. What, what would have happened? But, I mean, to me, one of the MVPs of the night is Saraya Knight Sr., who took the, the punch from Tony Storm and sold it like she'd been shot, Finn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what she she knew that was her moment on camera for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she was holding Britt Baker at ringside, and then Tony Storm threw you know the shot, and then Britt Baker moved, and Storm hit 
Soraya in the match's mother, and then Soraya's like, what are you doing? Um, and that was basically led to Soraya, the rest, Soraya, he was the competitor, falling out with Tony Storm. Um, and she, as you predicted, Kenny, she um, she won and became champ. So uh, it was a big moment for her becoming champion here, I'm sure. She seemed um, quite moved by the whole thing. In fact, very moved by the whole thing. And I actually thought um, they, I thought they worked pretty hard for the sort of eight, 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 eight and a half, nine minutes that it was. I thought they, they did well with the time they had. And I, I think, you know, we talked about this last week as well. It was The decision should have been to put the belt on Surveya and they made the right choice, I think. Yeah, she did like the baby face turn in the match. So, I mean, it all made sense there. Ruby Soho came out. She had a little moment and she got nailed and then she left. Um, and, you know, this was presumably the outcasts will split this week on Dynamite, I imagine. And maybe Soraya will defend against Tony Storm at, in Chicago next weekend. Um, so, I mean, that would seem like a logical extension of what happened at Wembley Stadium to me. Um, I mean, you kind of feel for, for Shida. He's just had a, like a total nothing reign. But, um, you know, that's her role, isn't it? Just she's like the transitional champion who passes it on to someone else. It seems to be her role. It just seems to be... You know, I mean, it's funny because later on in the press conference, Tony Khan had been asked about why is there not more, why are there not more women's matches on All In, and he said, well, you know, I've I've, I've booked Chris Statlin and Ruby Soho for All Out, and I think in his defence, I don't think there is another women's match right now that should be on the show, but I I think that's more the indictment of him, and that he should have made more stuff matter, you know, like I mean, if it was me, they should have done something where Tony Storm. Turn, Tony Storm was the champ. She turned heel on Soraya, kicked her at the outcasts, and this was the big hometown match. Yeah. And then have, you know, Baker do a big grudge match with Cargill because she's, you know, not done anything double or nothing. They're two big names in, in, in the company. So to me, they should have done two singles matches like that. And I think that would have shut some people up who are frustrated at the lack of, you know, women's matches. Yeah, I think that would have made more sense if it had just been like Soraya versus Tony Storm, um, and Soraya had gone into this as a you know baby face, and it was like the grudge match. Since that's obviously where it's going anyway, that the outcasts are going their separate ways, and I think there would have been a lot more interest in it, and it would have been a bigger moment for Soraya and a bigger moment for the show. Um, and really, I mean, she did just. You know, she was the baby face and she went into it as the champion and no one was really bothered about her, were they? So you, you kind of felt for her, really, because yeah. I think, you know, if she was promoted as a star and, you know, had some people behind her that were trying to make her a star and trying to get her over and make us care about her and her stories, I think she really could be somebody. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, it was the right outcome on the night. Um, and this was... I'm sure the biggest moment of Soraya's career, of course, because she was messing in front of 80,000 people yeah. and she had the family there and everything. So, yeah, I mean, good for her. You know, good for her. Uh, so then we had the coffin match, <clears throat> which was Darby Allen's thing as Christian Cage and Swerve Strickland. We had uh, Sting using Metallica's Seek and Destroy from the WCW Mayhem album, which they had licensed. Um, and this was, you know, your kind of typical coffin match. Loads of stuff in it. Sting was was doing way more than you would think a 64-year-old man would do. And Darby and Sting get the win in the end to continue their... Re- they've never lost as a team. 
apparently, in a match. They were 18 and 0 against us, and now they're 19. Uh, how did you find this one? Well, I mean, Sting and Derby should be challenging FTR, shouldn't they? Yeah, I would think so. Maybe, and maybe that's the you know, Sting's not able to have the big one on one match if that's just not something he's able to do. I'm sure if you did FTR against Derby and Sting, career on the line, that they, they would do everything in their power to make Sting look good. I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would be honored to have a match with Sting and probably be backstage volunteering Kenny to put him over. Um, yeah, but I mean, they would be it's Darby, so versus, it's Darby versus Christian Cage, isn't it, in Chicago? No, it's Darby versus Luchasaurus. Oh, right. Okay. I thought Luch- Christian Cage. I thought Christian Cage was facing him. No, because Luchasaurus is the TNT champion, but Luch- uh, Christian Cage walks about with it all the time. It is Darby and Luchasaurus, unfortunately. Ah, right. Okay. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> Understood. I mean, maybe that was just wishful thinking, Kenny. I think, I think he was. was. Yeah, wishful <laughs> thinking. Um, but yeah, no, this the, the, live. This was especially when you were quite deep into a show. This went over really well live. This coffin match. So yeah, I mean, it went. It played really well on TV. I mean, it absolutely did. I mean, um, there was at one point they were both Allen and uh, Sting donned jackets emblazoned in thumbtacks, um, which is a gimmick that Allen has used before. Uh, Sting used a rubber cricket bat. Um, you know, there was, you know, Allen. Alan did a springboard moonsault with his hands sellotaped behind his back. I mean, and then he also did a dive outside the ring with his hands sellotaped behind his back or, uh, you know, duct tape behind his back. And Nigel McGuinness on commentary was just like, if you could just hear him, you know, just thinking to himself like, oh, my God, I would never do that. I would never do that because (laughs) it goes wrong. My, you know, my, I can't put my hands down to, uh, to protect myself. So um, Luchasaurus came out to save Cage from being locked in the coffin. They had this massive, great coffin, Kenny, didn't they? It was enormous. Yeah, it was It was huge. So, yeah. And then uh, Nick Wayne had a little appearance, and uh, Luchasaurus beat him up, smashed him into a skateboard, and then Luchasaurus just carried him off. Um, Alan Coffin dropped himself onto Swerve. He was lying on the coffin, and Swerve moved, and... Alan hit the coffin. That was actually really well timed, and the camera work on that was perfect. That was a really good spot. Um, and uh, Sting were Sting was in the uh, Swerve got Sting in the coffin and threw the baseball bat in uh, with Sting, but Sting prevented Swerve from closing the lid by placing the baseball bat in the way. And then Alan uh, they got Swerve in the coffin, and Alan coffin dropped himself onto the coffin lid as Swerve was sort of between the coffin and the coffin lid. And then Swerve was just like devastated by this. And then he shoved him in the coffin and closed the lid and Sting and Alan won. So, yeah, I mean, it was very well received on the night. I think it was different from, even though there's a lot of crazy spots and objects and it was no another no DQ match. And we were just about to have an, an well, we're going to have another one later on the card, aren't we? In the, in the trios title match. Yeah. I think this was sufficiently different from everything else that had taken place that it stood on its own merits and you know was memorable because it was different to everything else that took place. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I'd like to see uh, Sting and Allen, um, you know, have that title match or tag team title match with FTR having won all those matches as a team, I think that would make sense. And I think there'll be a lot of support 
for Sting to have that tag team title reign. Yeah, I think, and I think that would be the the way to go if you can't go down the singles match route. Which I think when you watch it, I don't think he can do the singles match. I think that's probably why we haven't seen it because they do a yes. very good job of, you know, one of Tony one of Tony Khan's triumphs has been Sting. It really has. He protects him. He looks really good, and also he never seems like he's like super Cena over people. It's, it's, it's very impressive how they do it. So I'm sure that they'll have plans for him in his retirement. And hopefully his FTR. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but Sting never, I mean, Sting sort of did do that Superman stuff. And he did it here in in this match as well, the no selling. I think he knows all the chair shot. Um, so he does do it, but it's not over the top. And it's just a sort of one spot in the match. Uh, but I think what they've done really well with Sting is they haven't overused him. And that was where they went wrong in TNA. And there were times when he was just used sparingly and he was more effective. But here in AEW, um, sorry, there was times in TNA where he was used sparingly, but then they started using him far too much. They were featuring him all the time. And um, that, to me, just uh, diminished his appeal. And what AEW has done is they've never used, you know, they've only ever used him sparingly. And that's the way you use a guy in his 60s. Uh, we then had Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay. Chris Jericho came out with Fozzie, and we'll move on from that since you don't need, you don't need to try and find something nice to say. Um, but uh, what did you make of Jericho and Osprey? Um, Well, the thing that I couldn't really understand about it was that Jericho turned babyface before this show, right? I am not imagining this, am I, Kenny? No, you're not imagining it, no. So he did, and we had Don Callis who was Will Ospreay's manager and Don Callis is evil and he wanted to cut Chris Jericho's head off. And very early in this match, Jericho went heel and he worked the match as a heel. So I was like, why is this happening? Because Will Ospreay is from England? Well, shouldn't someone have anticipated that Will Ospreay might be uh, be cheered? So therefore, why would you turn Jericho babyface before this match if he was going to play heel in this match yeah I mean I guess they just they knew going in that, that Osprey was going to get cheered they knew that that's what was going to happen and they decided to have one person play the heel role um, and it, it kind of, you kind of got the sense after it that Jericho is going to be a heel given that he didn't want to talk to Sammy Guevara who was there for him um, but he's just turned babyface yep <laughs> This is, you know, this is a bit worse than Vince Russo. Vince Russo did something like this. Thousands of words would be written about how terrible and idiotic and nonsensical he is. And I didn't really read too much about how absurd and nonsensical this was. So why Don Callis was a spare part at ringside, wasn't he? Because Will Ospreay was basically playing the babyface. In fact, Sammy Guevara did almost nothing in the match from what I saw. Did I miss yeah. anything? No, no, I think he was... I mean, for once, Guevara was playing the restrained role. He was just outside reacting facially to stuff. He wasn't. He didn't get physically involved, um, which was strange. I mean, I guess he was just there for that uh, that, that final bit where he was yeah. going to try and help him up. But um, yeah, it was strange. I thought... I mean, I thought that... Um, I said that before this match, um, my favourite Will Ospreay match was one that he had with Drew McIntyre when he was Drew Galloway in WCPW. Oh, yeah, yeah, you've talked about that one before. Yeah. 
And I actually really liked this one as well because he had to have a different style of match. And I think when Osprey has one that has a, a match that takes him out of his comfort zone, that's where I think he's better. Um, and I think he was able to do that here. I think Jericho tried really hard to do as much as he possibly could. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I think that, I think that they, they delivered as well as people would have expected it to be in Wembley, um, which is a hard... I mean, it's, it's, it was a hard bar to set because people, you know, it was going on near the end. It was in a top spot. But, um, yeah. You'd already been... seen so much by this point. So much. So... You know, the typical AEW pay-per-view where, you know, about halfway in, you're like, my God. You know, we have been bombarded with so, so many images and noises and it's just sensory overload. And that's what I was feeling by this point. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was Australia won with a Stormbreaker. I think Jericho really did try here. I've got to give him credit for that. He was really going for it. Um, I think he would have been better in a tag match, to be honest with you. I think he would have, that would have been a better role for him on the show. Um, so, I mean, yeah, some of it did look really scrappy. Um, Osprey kicked out of his Judas effect. Um, and Osprey, yeah, won with a Stormbreaker at the end. But I, I, yeah, the whole thing with, you know, because we talked about this before the show and we said, why didn't, Jericho go into the match as a heel and then do the babyface turn at the end when Don Callis turned heel on him. You know, and then he could have had that little moment afterwards, you know, with him losing. And then he could have had this little babyface moment at the end. He played heel throughout the match. So Osprey would have been cheered and Osprey could have left and Callis and Jericho could have done their thing. And then Jericho would have been the baby face for the American market and they could have done the rematch next weekend. I mean, we we laid it all out, didn't we, Kenny? We gave them their whole storyline. But um, yeah, I think that would, have, as, that would have been better if the turn had happened during the match, uh, for sure. It's funny, when when, uh, when the coffin match was finishing, I'd said to the people I was with, I was like, there's no way that it's anything but Jericho and Osprey next because Jericho's not doing the death match before the main event. There's just no way that he's going to do that. Um, and you know, that's what it ended up being, House of Black against the Acclaimed and Billy Gunn. Um, it was right before the main event. People were quite tired, but they still did give it, you know, a lot of oomph, the crowd. They tried. Um, we had a Prince Andrew joke by Max Caster when he came out and did his rap, which, uh, you know, you knew we were going to get something UK-based, so we got that. Um, yeah. And Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed were able to win this no-holds-barred match and win the trio's titles. Yes. I mean, we had the strange sight, didn't we, of them doing the Sesame Timbers on Julia Hart? I mean, they yes. <laughs> usually do not do moves on women. So I thought that was a bit odd. But, um, you know, that, that went down well. Mercedes Monet was in the crowd. That was quite something to see her there, wasn't it? Did Should you have mentioned that, that, yeah. Yeah, she was there. She did actually have a boot on, like a recovery boot, and that's obviously why she's not able to do anything. Um, but you know, Tony Khan did say later on he wanted her to be there. So I guess when she's cleared, we'll, we're probably going to see her in AEW in some way. You would imagine. Yeah, and God knows who she's going to work with. Good luck, <laughs> good luck, Mercedes. I mean, there was a uh, one point in the match. Um, uh, well, Brody Kane accidentally drilled Black with a chain, um, and then Julia Hart dragged um, Aubrey Edward, Edwards, the referee, out of the ring as she counted Gunn's pin on Matthews. And I think what would have been a really good spot there would have been, I mean, I know you could say, well, Aubrey Edwards, you know, she was a tension seeker. 
don't you know put her in the spotlight Finley don't give them any ideas you know she's started calming down her expressions so she's not tempted to steal the show in a match but I think it would have been nice to have a little spot there where she shoved Julia Hart you know after Julia Hart dragged her out the ring and just shoved Julia Hart over and I think that would have got a huge pop if she'd done that yeah, I, th- I I did think they were going to do that at one point, but obviously they decided not to. Uh, yeah. Maybe they maybe they just thought if we give that to Aubrey, our price is going to go up. She's going to want more <laughs> money it. for a match. That's it. We've just you know we've turned a corner, Finley. We've turned a corner with Aubrey. She doesn't want to be the center of attention anymore. Stop giving her any ideas. <laughs> you know. So I mean, King kicked out the mic drop on one. Did you spot that, Kenny? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I think when you do kick out some one. They should be so sparing that they, they mean something. And I just don't know if Brody King's the guy I would have been wasting a one count kick out. I mean, absolutely no way. I mean, this guy's never going to be any over any more over than he is. I mean, really, what was that? And then all three had to then beat him down, King. And then they did a second mic drop. But it's like, well, you've kind of ruined the efficacy of the mic drop by having this guy that no one's ever going to care about kick out on one. <laughs> and I thought it was a really flat ending to what should have been a huge moment. And then afterwards, the House of Black presented the belts, the acclaimed and badass Billy Gunn. I didn't see that coming. No. So that was, I didn't, you know, that was very unexpected. Um, I think this, had this gone on second, Kenny, people would have loved it a lot more than they did. Yeah, but then if it gone on second, we would have had to have the Golden Lovers near the end. And for my patience, <laughs> that was good that we didn't. Um, which, uh, which leads us into nicely the main event, MGF and Adam Cole for the AEW World title. Adam Cole's got his kind of regular entrance. MGF's got the devil entrance that he has. Yes. And they have this... Um, well, can I just say, you know, I mentioned earlier that I didn't really think they did enough, you know, to promote, uh, you know, big special things. The MGF entrance, you know, that was pretty big. I mean that was impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was I mean, it was the entrance was top tier. They made him look like a million dollars. And um and so they, so they have this match. And I mean the, the match is kind of divided opinion, right? They go about twenty nine minutes, there's a lot of comedy in it, there's uh there's kind of story stuff, there's a lot of different elements to it. Roderick Strong came out at one point and ended up kicking MGF in the balls and tried to get Cole to uh, when the ref was down, tried to get Cole to... Because the whole story was MGF was not wanting to do the things to Adam Cole that he would have done before. Yes. He, would, he wouldn't tombstone him on the announce table, then Cole did it to him. He got the dynamite diamond ring out, he wouldn't use it on him. So MGF's kind of not wanting to do any of this stuff, and then Strong comes out and kicks him in the balls. Cole does the Panama Sunrise and the knee, but the referee's down, and then eventually the referee counts and MGF kicks out. And um, in the end... Um, Strong again is trying to get uh, Adam Cole to cheat and with the bell, and then Adam Cole's kind of distracted, and then he ends up uh, telling Cole to leave, and he turns around into an inside cradle with MGF wins. I mean, almost as devastating as the fluke roll up. What is more? De- what is more devastating, the inside cradle or the fluke roll up? They're they're I mean, on a part. The fluke, the fluke roll up, Kenny. Fluke roll up. You know, I mean, they could kick out of like a million flying knees and spike pile drivers, you know, baseball bats, cricket bats going through tables, you know, falling from the roof, you know, you name it, falling from great heights. They can always kick out of that, but not an inside cradle and certainly not a fluke roll up. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, it was. You're right. There was a lot of comedy, and this has divided opinion. This match, and understandably so. I mean, that beginning they both donned their you know better than you baby T-shirts, you know, to show their unity. I mean, they were after they are after all now the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. Mm-hmm. You know, they made out they were going to wrestle this clean match, um, but it was Cole who really you know was a subtle heel and and even actually the overt heel at times. Um, I mean, Cole did a, this brain buster on the ring steps at ringside, and I just thought that was an unnecessary risk. Um, and MGF was selling that at ringside like he was, you know, KO'd for real. Um, and um, Cole was in the ring, and the referee's counting, gets up to eight, and I'm thinking, right, Cole's going to go over to the referee in a second, and he's going to stop the count. Because... If he were to defeat MGF by count out, okay, he'd win the match, but he wouldn't win the title. Mm-hmm. And he didn't stop the referee's count. So I thought that was, you know, inexplicable. And MGF suddenly rose for the death and d- dived into the ring and beat the count. Um, so, yeah, I th- yeah. So MGF's shoulder was caught. Um, MGF, uh, as we said, couldn't bring himself to Tombstone Adam Cole on the announced desk, but then Cole did the same move onto MGF. And at least after this one, Kenny, he shoved him back into the ring and made the cover. So that was a near fall. Yeah. It did a double pin after they hit the double clothesline on each other. So the match was, that was it. The match was stopped. The match was a draw. Uh, the referee presented the title to MGF. Um, but then. Cole said, let's have five more minutes. And MGF said, no, you know, we need to just see this one through to the end. So that got a big pop and the match was restarted. And then that led to, um, you know, we had like a ref bump and then MGF brought a chair in and they're throwing the chair to each other. And that was a bit weird as well. So it was like Cole was trying to get um, MGF disqualified. But if MGF had been disqualified, then Cole would have won the match but, but he wouldn't have won the belt. So we had these two moments in the match where he wanted to win by count out and DQ. So, I mean, if you start thinking about this on any great level, Kenny, it just unravels and just annoys you. You know what I mean? Because yeah. well, when, I, when I was live, it was very fun and a live environment. But you're right, when you then think about it later on, you go, oh, well, you know, that doesn't really make much sense. Um, so they probably could have done something. They could have done a similar thing but not had it that Cole would have been okay with the count-out win or the DQ win. Yeah, there was all these weird elements. And beforehand, you know, Adam Cole was very, very clear, very direct. I'll do anything to win that championship. That's what it was all about for him, the championship and, you know, not the win, winning the belt. Um, You know, so we had this bizarre spot where um, Cole hit this atrocious-looking Panama sunrise on the referee. Uh, So that was the second ref bump, and that... Uh, that uh, was the green light and that was the cue for Roderick Strong to come out and I thought he would make an appearance and he kicked MGF in the nuts that looked great that looked tremendous yeah. Cole then hit the boom went for the pin but the referee was you know KO'd um, and then Cole urged um, sorry Strong urged Cole to use the towel belt as a weapon but Cole refused to do so. And then that led to, you know, MGF surprising Cole with the inside cradle and he won the belt. Then we had some post-match hijinks as well with Strong involved. Would Strong turn heel? You know, uh, sorry, would um, 
Cole turn heel on MJF? No, he didn't. He hugged it out. And it seems that MJF and Cole are united and Roderick Strong's very much on the outs with Adam Cole. But I don't think we've heard the last of this story, Kenny. In fact, we haven't, have we? So it'd be interesting to see what happens this weekend at the pay-per-view. Will MJF team up with Adam Cole to defend the Ring of Honor tag belts against Roderick Strong and somebody? I'm not sure. I'm yeah, not quite sure what's going to happen. I, did, I mean, something that I didn't really notice live because I couldn't see it was the I thought the post-match scene was excellent when MJF was going to say, you know, we've still got the tag titles and Cole's not happy, and then MJF says, you just wanted these belts. That You just wanted this belt. You didn't care about me. And it's like, you know, MJF's been really genuine here, and then he's doing the thing that, that Cole had done before, which is, you know, stand there, you know, with his back to him, saying, right, do it, just hit me, and, and yeah. you know, Strong's going, hit him, hit him, and then he doesn't do it, and MJF's like, you didn't do it, and then they hug, and I actually think that they did, I'm really happy they didn't do the turn here, because they, they're, they're going with what's working, and what's really hot, and I don't know what the payoff's going to be, because you do at some point have to have a payoff to this angle with MJF and Cole. But I mean, the, the crowd were very happy in the end with the two of them still being on the same page. So I don't really know what they're going to do, but I am intrigued to see what... Because, I mean, Strong doesn't really have... you know Strong's not going to be facing them with like Mike Bennett or Matt Taven. You need somebody bigger than that. So Cole, uh, Strong would need to find somebody, I guess that would feel like a worthy opponent, a worthy partner, to face MGF and Cole if that's the way they go down. But then are they going to do that if Punk is not available for All Out? Does that take away one of your bigger matches, whatever he was going to go up to? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, I mean, if he's suspended, then surely he can't be at the pay-per-view this weekend. Yeah, I, I don't think so. So, I mean... I mean, we know discipline's a problem there, and but I mean, Tony Khan's got to stick to this one unless his investigation mysteriously concludes and uh, Punk is found of no found, found uh, guilty of no wrongdoing on Friday and can appear on Collision on Saturday and then can appear at the pay per view on Sunday. Maybe that will be the outcome of it, Kenny. Yeah, maybe. I mean. Um... We shall see. It'll be very interesting to see how Dynamite plays out tomorrow with uh, the suspensions and with MJF and Cole. Yeah. But what are your well, over, overall thoughts on on All In? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a big show. I mean, congrats to, to them for drawing that huge crowd. I mean, they, they made a point of saying that it was the largest worldwide paid audience for a wrestling show ever. So, I mean, that amused me because... You know, WWE has been saying forever that WrestleMania 3 drew 93,173. And then was it WrestleMania 32, I think it was, where they claimed that drew over 100,000? Kenny, was it 101,000? Yes, that's what they said. That's That was the claim. <laughs> that was the claim. So we know that WWE exaggerates its attendance, but it's exaggerated that attendance by 20,000. Even by WWE standards, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a very high percentage of exaggerated, you know, ticket sales. So, I mean, that that amused me that they were going on about that. And I don't know whether WWE is going to react to that or it isn't. So, you know, congrats to them for drawing this huge crowd. And obviously the venue could hold more. And like they already announced, haven't they, that All in London will return to Wembley August 25th, 2024. So there's going to be another one, which is, you know, really bold. I mean, they've proven that they can sell 
a massive number of tickets once. So theoretically, they'll be able to do it again. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it just shows what an amazing market the UK is, doesn't it, for pro wrestling? Um, But it's, yeah, I mean, there was too much happened on the show. Um, But, I mean, you know, the thing is, it's AEW, and you've got to get your AEW goggles on, and you've got to get into the AEW mindset to to in to enjoy the show and people you know what was knocking the stadium stampede match before i didn't mean to mention it's not for me that type of match just too much in it but that's the standard that's been set for stadium stampede this is what fans now expect from it isn't it expect you know this massive amount of you know garbage spots and constant movement and that's what people expect from that match it, they need lots of blood, lots of people crashing through things, lots of objects, lots of props, lots of, you know, extracurricular activity. That's what it's all about. And if it was a scaled back, strip, you know, stripped down version of that match, the AEW audience, and as we saw the AEW, as we saw at Wembley Stadium, the AEW audience is really big. I think the audience would have been very disappointed. So it was geared towards the people who bought tickets to watch this show that's simple and you know when you actually put it you know in those terms it was a success and the show was obviously a success as well yeah and so much so they've announced the the return of AEW to Wembley next year same same weekend um, yeah which I think I mean see to be honest if you sold this amount of tickets the first time I think you probably should do it again you probably should try to Mm. And see if they can, you know, because if they sell forty to fifty thousand tickets in the first week next time, then it's a, it's a big success again. Yeah, you know, so um, yeah, I think I think they, they did really well. I think it felt big when when I was there. It felt like a big show, and I think they did enough to kind of make it. If you went to the show, you would go again. You would go to another one. So, um, but yeah, uh. Interesting I mean, just, I just want to also just yeah, give a uh, you know big congrats to um, the House of Black for their tribute to uh, Bray Wyatt in their in their entrance. Yes, yeah, that was very classy as well. You know, the I mean Bray Wyatt kind of felt like he was on everyone's mind the whole weekend. You know, because people I think we'd arrived on Thursday in London, and then you sort of hear that, that he's passed away on the Thursday night, and then you know Friday was the press day and. You know, obviously people were asking, including me, were asking Paul White about that because, you know, he was colleagues with him and friends and that that is the question that you ask as part of one of those press afternoons. That's what being a journalist is about, which, you know, a lot of people don't understand, <laughs> seemingly. Um, but, yeah, I think he was kind of on everyone's mind uh, throughout the whole weekend and the tribute to SmackDown was really good. The video package WWE did for him was just amazing. Um, you know, I can't really say good enough, enough good things about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could not agree more. It was, um, it was very moving. The whole, that whole um, SmackDown. Just seeing everyone on the stage was just like, it's like, it's like you know. I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, and um, I don't know why, but I have. And um, sometimes it's not until you're actually there at the funeral that you realize this person's no longer around. And obviously, I'm not going to be going to Bray Wyatt's funeral, but it was not until watching the tribute show with everyone on the stage and people in tears. And that's the moment it really hits you. So, you know, very much like, you know, when you go to a funeral and you're just like, yeah, this is real. 
you know, and this is somebody I've known, this is someone I was related to, this is someone I've known for decades. And you kind of don't want to believe it. That's the reason, isn't it? That's the, that's, you don't want to believe this person really has gone. And then you have to face up to the reality they have. And um, yeah, that was the, uh, the SmackDown episode on Friday was just like, yeah, this guy, this guy's really no longer around. And yeah, really, really sad, Kenny, really sad. Yeah, when, uh, when Triple H had tweeted out about it, there was kind of a period of a half an hour and I thought, you know, God, I hope he's been hacked or something. You know, like it's not real. It's not It's not actually happened. Um, Yeah, it's, it's so sad. But um, I, like I said earlier, I think that from, the, you know, obviously the family part is horrific and we can only, you know, send best wishes to them. But I think from the wrestling perspective, you can see how much he means to people. You can see what his legacy is going to be. So... Um, yeah, I think that's that's a, a great thing. So we will be back on Thursday with uh, Power Slam to talk about Raw, to talk about the suspension drama. Uh, no real glass will be used in the making of Thursday's podcast. Um, but I mean, uh, what a twerp! I mean, what a twerp! Jack Perry, just yeah. go away. I know, and he's going around telling people backstage he's going to do it. It's like, oh, you're a, you're a joke. Why did you? Why did someone come to? No, don't do that. Someone should have communicated that back to someone in power. Jack, don't do that. No, don't do that. If you do that, you won't have a job here anymore. You know, and then he did it. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk about it more on Thursday. We'll talk about it more on Thursday. So yeah, want to thank you for all your support, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 